Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. Welcome into another Friday mailbag edition of the first team. I am Joe DeLeon and with me is Ryan Roberts. The Senior Bowl is right behind us and we're going to be sharing just some final thoughts. If you missed the other three recap episodes that we did on a day to day basis and then also last night we dropped a here is the overarching uh, overview of the top performers by position group that dropped last night. But today we're just going to put a nice bow on things. We're going to wrap things up sharing some final guys that maybe we didn't mention throughout the week that we thought are worth just having a discussion on, worth giving a little bit of love to for the way that they did. And then, of course, this is a Friday mailbag. We're going to be answering your questions, whether you sent them to us on Twitter, you put them in a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, or if you drop them in the chat as we go on today's pod. Before we get to that, though, folks, I just want to remind everybody that this show is sponsored by our good friends over at Bet Online. The Super Bowl is right around the corner. And if you want to make the game a little bit more fun and exciting to watch, maybe because your team's not in it, you can head on over to betonline.ag to place any bets that you're looking for. I just saw uh, today there is an ungodly amount of Taylor Swift-related bets. Uh, if you want to find a way to spin uh, in a very annoying part of the game and make it a little fun, maybe you can go spend a little bit of that money on uh, betonline.ag. BetOnline is your number one source for playoff football odds, stats, trends, and lines with everything from point spreads to hundreds of player performance props. Head to betonline.ag uh, today to stay updated on all of the action. BetOnline, the game starts here. All right, Ryan. So uh, kicking us off here, talking about guys that we think had nice finishes to the week that we didn't get to. Uh, you brought up originally, there's two guys actually I want that, that you said before we went live that I wanted to talk about a little bit and then get to any others before we get to the yep. questions. Kingsley Somatea, uh, you yep. were giving like a really good background on your thoughts on him. Yeah, so he came into the week a lot bigger than I thought he was going to be. I expect him to be around 315 pounds or so. I believe he weighed in at right around 330 this week, Joe. And I mean, he's a kid that was 6'4 and 3 eighths, so a little bit shorter than obviously his listing at BYU. But he also has very long arms. It was over 34 inches as far as his arm length. So he kind of fits that prototype of a offensive tackle at the next level. Some interesting backstory. He was actually a very highly ranked recruiter. I believe he was yeah. a five-star by at least one platform going to Oregon. Spent one year at Oregon. Transferred to BYU. Despite him being a BYU guy, I think a lot of people just kind of assume, oh, he went on a mission. He must be old. He's not. So Kingsley Sumatea is very young, actually. He's a very young prospect. I believe he's still only 21 years old. So he has a little bit of upside to work with. And the first day, I thought you saw a lot of what I saw with Kingsley over the last two years, Joe, in the sense of he's obviously talented, right? Like he's long. He's got really agile feet, good body control in general. But the game just seemed to be, at times, moving fast for him. And it just seemed yeah. like his his footwork was out of whack a little bit, maybe some false steps, maybe just kind of a, a difference of understanding how to cut down angles. Like There were just some inconsistencies with Kingsley over the last two years. And I think you saw that on the first day. Like I didn't think he looked overly comfortable early on at the Senior Bowl. But what is most important at the Senior Bowl setting, at an all-star setting, these weeks of practice, 
improvement from one day to the next. Day two, Kingsley was a lot better than day one. Day three, Kingsley was better than day two as well. I thought he he showed quick exponential growth throughout the week. I really love the talents of Kingsley. Now, his situation is going to be very important on the next level because, again, I think he needs a good offensive line coach. I think he needs maybe a little bit of patience, especially early on in his NFL career. But he certainly has the prototype, the profile, the athleticism, the length to be a riser on the next level and to be a guy that I think can be a starting offensive tackle by year two, relatively early into his career. He's got big upside. It's just about patience a little bit. Yeah, he and Tyler Guyton, I think we were really quickly reminded that these guys have just rare physical tools compared to everybody else in the class, but they're really still figuring things out. They're, they're a lot further behind the eight ball than some of these other prospects that are a little bit more ready to plug and play and start. And I, I've definitely come around on Ty- – not come around because I didn't mind Tyler Guyton. I had him, I think, at tackle seven, which is, I think, a pretty – a bullish place to put him. I'm not in that top 20 conversation for a lot of the things that we've talked about where he is still figuring it out and he's not somebody who I would want to put out there as a rookie who is still adding to his physical profile. I immediately think of like Matt Pert from from UConn uh, who was with the Giants for a little bit his rookie season. He, he gets thrown out there. He gets some playing time his first year and doesn't do bad. Like does a pretty decent job yeah. against uh, Chase Young when he was called on and was asked to play. But as his career progressed, he didn't really add on to his upper body strength, which was the key, key issue for a less developed, uh, more traitsy tackle. That was necessary. Like he needed to bulk up a little bit more, get a little bit physically tougher. And I don't even know if he's on the on the Giants roster anymore. And if anything, I think to the extent it's just him being, you know, he's just been a backup. Uh, I don't yeah. think, I think Guyton's a little bit further along than that. And same thing with Kingsley Somatea. But both of these guys might be in a circumstance where they don't start the first five games of their career or maybe even longer until they get onto the field. Maybe it's an injury that gets them onto the field sooner. They're going to need a little bit of work and just some physical refinement because they're not as far along as some of these other guys. I have pushed back on the Tyler Guyton hype train going into this week a ton because, Joe, we I think we get into those battles when a player is being maybe a little bit overvalued compared to where he should actually be on the board, in my opinion, right? I am totally okay, and I was okay going into Senior Bowl week to take Tyler Guyton in the second or third round. Was very yeah. okay with it. I mean, I'd go early there. second. I'd go early yeah. second. I would too. For a In a good situation for a team that has a level of patience at the offensive tackle position, I would be okay with taking a gamble on Tyler Guyton because he is still a gamble, even after a great senior bowl week. It was a, it it is still a matter of offensive line play is so heavily dependent on experience, man. Experience matters so much at that position and he doesn't have it. And if you're going to throw him out early, there's going to be obvious struggles and you're going to work into that conflict of there's some players that you could throw in the fire and they'll come out on the other side because they're resilient and they have good mental toughness. But then there are some other players who you throw them out there and they're just not ready. They're just not ready and they just can't mentally take the disappointments or the trial by fire of being able to improve on a day-to-day basis. So there is a cautionary tale there, I think, to Tyler Guyton. Now, that being said, Tyler looked a whole lot better than I even thought he did at Oklahoma this past year in the terms of he looked more controlled this week. There is still a lot of 
chaos happening with his upper body, still a whole lot of it. And that kind of worries me of maybe some holding penalties, especially early on in his career. But regardless, you can't teach six, seven, you can't teach 328 pounds. That looks like he's 290 pounds with how good his frame is. You can't teach 34 plus inch arms. You can't teach tight end background as well. Like he has every tool in the toolbox it's going to be about patience, though, for a guy like a Tyler Guyton. Yeah, like like both these players. Uh, I want to bring up one before. There's a couple yep. of defensive tackles that I think have like a really interesting conversation I want to get to, um, adding to the one that you brought up in the pre-show. But I want to talk yeah. about really quickly a receiver that we didn't talk about at all. I, I thought that Javon Baker from UCF, the former Alabama wide receiver, we mentioned him on day one. I, I think that he was a really quiet guy this week that just didn't get a lot of love and there's a couple times on film where he just looks really clean. I posted one clip where, and we talk about this all, all the whole week. We talk about this the whole week where the guys that create the quick separation, I don't really care about that. I especially don't care about the guys who take seven seconds to run their routes and then make a contested catch at the end. Who are you talking I care about? about? Who are you talking I care about <laughs> the guys that at the end of their reps show uniqueness to their play capabilities. So Javon sure. Baker, I posted a clip of him uh, in the red zone drill coming up, high-pointing the football, and coming down with it. And he's not like a big guy. He's not a big receiver. To see that he's got good body control like that, and this is a guy who, with so many receivers to get to, is not somebody that I had even considered watching just yet. That was a guy who I was going to wait until way later down the line because there's so many receivers that we have to get to to watch. So I think that Devon Baker from UCF deserves a little bit of love, and some people have been saying this is a sleeper guy in the class. He is, and I, I remember talking to someone before the Senior Bowl week even kicked off. Was it me and you talking about him? I think maybe off air or something, but I kind of portrayed it yeah. as there's nothing special about him, right? As far as like, he's not going to run a 4-3 in the 40. He's not going to test out and be able to jump out of the gym. He's not just the most sudden athlete of all time, but he's just kind of solid to good at most aspects of it, right? Like he's got solid deep speed. He's got good flexible hips to get in out of breaks, but not special flexibility. He's, he's one of those players, Joe, that I think is going to be a third to fourth wide receiver on a team and be able to contribute because he just does everything pretty well. Like, you know, it's, it's all just solid stuff. He reminds me stylistically a little bit to a, I would kind of compare him a little bit to a Michael Gallup. You know, let's play with Dallas, right? Yeah. And Michael Gallup, same thing. Michael Gallup can uncover deep a little bit because of really good body control and solid athleticism, but he's not a burner. He's not a guy that can just take the top off consistently when you know that that's the route he's running. He's going to be a mainly outside receiver because he doesn't really have an inside profile, but I think that he could be a Michael Gallup-esque player in the sense of, is he ever going to be a number one on a team? No. Is he even going to be a high level two on a team? No, probably not. But he is most likely going to be a dependable outside receiver who can win down the field with length and solid athleticism. That's what I think of Javon Baker, and I think that's what he showed us this week. I uh, just throwing this in here. Uh, Colin's asking how I got my uh, normal recording background in Mobile. I, I, I mean, I travel very, very light. Now, <laughs> you know, it was really funny uh, this week. A lot of people, because I was posting so much and so many clips about the event, um, yeah, a lot of people thought I was there. <laughs> a, lot, a, lot, a, lot people, a lot of people were asking me, texted too. me too. Everyone's like, Hey, man, like, oh, like, oh, I know you're super busy with the senior bowl, like, great coverage out there in Mobile. And some of them, I was like, Yeah, I'm not, I'm not there. Um, I also had a, a radio spot that was like, Oh, are you down in Mobile? And I'm like, I'm like, No, but I'll come on. And I, I did end up 
uh, did end up coming on. I will say, I think that the having gone two years in a row and then this year doing it remotely, yeah. I, I kind of get why you're not super like, I need to go to Mobile. It's yeah. easier to cover it from home because while everybody's on the field, I'm getting the film while everyone's still sitting there and I'm able to post the clips before anybody gets you know, they're, you know, gets anything pulled up and ready to do yeah. that stuff. So it's a little bit of an advantage to be able to share and, and be a little bit more. The, the only advantage is you can go talk to people and network, of course, yeah. which we're going to do with the combine. Exactly. Well, and I, I think honestly, you know, just for people that have never been to the combine, I think the combine is a better networking opportunity just in general. Like, I mean, yeah. it's just so easy to be able to, and I know mobile has it too, right? Like mobile has the, the, the couple bars that people go to and the, you know, they, go and get the food at similar places. But when you go to Indianapolis, Joe, I know exactly the spots to go talk to people. A hundred percent. I know the bar that everyone goes to. I know the hotel that everyone stays at. Mr. I know, connected over here. I know the steakhouse. Well, everyone knows the steakhouse that everyone goes to, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. The steakhouse that you want to go to. Obviously. Flight is booked. Colin so, don't no fit. No fake news. The flight is officially booked. We're going to be there. Colin, I'm still waiting for the last minute pullouts by your boy. Here. I, 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 I spent too much money on that flight, so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> bailing. Even if someone tries to tell me, like if, if work tries to tell me, which they won't, if anything, they, you know, they want me to go. Um, I will make it there. So we're, yeah, no, I'm going to officially be there. I, I'm excited. I think that I think that the combine is going to be fun. And uh, I feel like. I was deprived last year of like being able to actually network because like I was there yeah. and I was working and doing my full-time job while I was there. So it was like very, very unproductive. And I, I think it's going to be fun though. I want, I want to actually yeah. get to talk to people. You know, that was something that I have, I didn't really get to do last year. Uh, defensive yep. tackles that I want to bring up. So we were talking about Braden Fisk and I also want to have a conversation about Devondre sweat really quick before we get to some of these questions. We don't have a ton of mm -hmm. questions this time. Not a bad sure. way, not a bad way. Yep. Yeah. Braden Fisk, we were talking about, and you and I are having a little bit of a, not a debate, but like a, a, a good discourse about a player like this who comes from Western Michigan, goes to Florida State, has a really nice season playing mostly in the inside at Florida State, and he goes to the Senior Bowl. He's not the most consistent guy during the reps, but yeah. he has the best effort from what I noticed. Oh, his and busted great. his ass every single rep where... He might have gotten his butt kicked on some situations, but I felt like I felt like uh, Braden Fisk man was was just like being super super aggressive and was just showing that even if he's not going to come close to winning, he's still going to fight for every single second of the rep. But I think to your point, as you've kind of brought up, I don't yeah. know if this is a guy that you still invest a pick on. Maybe he's a high priority PFA. Maybe he's a seventh round pick that just ends up being your backup rotational guy or practice squad player. He's a little bit of a tricky eval because of his size. He, it, it, all right. So he, here's where I am with Braden Fisk because I think you hit on something perfect there, Joe. He's relentless, man. Great motor, and he's pretty strong. He's a densely built kid. He's got good natural leverage, right? Because he's not, you know, his his height is fine. He's over six foot three. He's two hundred ninety five pounds. But the length is the thing that I just keep coming back to because I'm watching some reps and it's it's fun to watch the one on ones because he eventually gets to the quarterback because he's just got a relentless motor. He's got active hands like it's cool, right? But then there's sometimes in one on ones where you see the length, lack of length show up where he gets stuck inside on guys and he's not able to disengage against longer offensive linemen. He's not able to do it. And in the in 
the team drills at times, you'll see, especially when he's working against double teams, like combos up to second level, he gets displaced a little bit, man. Like they can dig him out because he just does not have the length and the overall body to be able to counteract that physicality at the point of attack and play at the point of attack. I mean, he's just a very, there's just some limitations to his game. He reminds me a whole lot of, and this is no disrespect at all, because this guy is literally starting games in the NFL right now, but he reminds me of Kurt Heinisch that played at Notre Dame that is starting some games at the Houston Texans. Nothing wrong with Kurt. Kurt's a good football player. And he's starting games for the Houston Texans. But you know that there were limitations with him coming out of Notre Dame. You know there are limitations of him now. You know it. And I think that there, those things still exist for Brain Fisk. This isn't a stock up guy for me for this week. I think he did well at the Senior Bowl overall. But did he have a stock up uh, week in the sense of me seeing something that I didn't already know? No, absolutely not. I saw everything from Brain Fisk this week that I already saw at Florida State. That I already saw at Western Michigan. He's a solid athlete with a good first step, and he plays really hard. But he doesn't have the body type or the length to make me invest a high-level pick in him. I'm not investing anywhere third to fifth yeah. round in him, I don't think. I might take him in the sixth or seventh if the board has dried up a little bit and there's nobody that I like because there's still dependability there. But this is a late-round PFA type who can stick because he plays really hard and he has a good floor to him. But I do massively question the upside of Braden Fisk. I do. I do. Yeah, he's, he's tricky because you'd love to get his effort into the body of some of these other players that don't really go, go full speed all the time. So it's 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 always tricky and it's always disappointing when you can't totally get that out of players. Um, Devondre Sweat, though, and I'm, I'm not bringing him up to be negative. You're not. For some reason, he's, he's one of those guys that if you say, if you're realistic about his draft projection and you don't say that this is a three-down all-pro defensive lineman, you get called yep. a lot of crazy shit. It's it's really <laughs> funny how people react to him. He's one of the few of this class where people get really upset. I think one thing that I've quickly, like I've just come to, you know, I've it's been affirmed for me with Tavondre with, with Sweat. I'm in on the guy being first and second down, nose tackle that's kind of the extent of it i think he's more of a three four yeah. guy i don't know if i'd put him into a four three he is just no. going to be a menace for centers he is going to be a problem on rushing downs you're going to need two guys to move him off the ball he is that physically strong did he show in the one-on-ones that his bull rush is impossible to keep up with yeah it is i mean the guy's 360 pounds and he probably squats a house he's really really powerful but then there were times that you say to saw devandre sweat try to do other moves and try to have a little bit of finesse and use his hands a little bit. Yep. There was nothing there. There's no, you know, there's no burst. There's no flexibility. There's no twitch because he can't have that because he's so big. We need to be realistic here that Devondre sweat is an early day three pick. That is a space eater defensive tackle, more specifically a nose guard. That there's yep. nothing else to this that we already see in the perfect example. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Jordan Davis is having a tough time right now with the Eagles, and he was a much better athlete than Devondre Sweat is. So we got to be prepared that that he is not going to live up to the expectations that I think some people think. Yeah, I, I think it's disappointment relative to the expectation. I think is a perfect way to put it. He is not a he he is a rosterable football player on the next level and yeah. has a role and, and, in and, the NFL, yes. but he is not 
he's not a difference maker, right? Like he's not a difference maker. I know people want to make him that because he's big 12 defensive player of the year. He's first team, all American. He's a guy that I, I forget what award he won, but was it the rotary award? I, I forget, but he won. Yeah, I mean, he was a high, he was in the Heisman combo, which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, yeah. but he just, Joe, he's, we're making someone something that he isn't at this juncture in the draft. He is not a second round player. He is, even though he not a might first get drafted round player, there, I mean, who knows? Push, I mean, he's definitely that. not a first round player. There's no chance. Could someone pull the trigger on day two because they need a speed eating nose tackle? I guess it's always possible, man. But regardless, you know what a big red flag is for me, Joe? Like it is. And people are going to kind of poo poo this, I'm sure. But the fact that he didn't weigh in at the senior bowl is a massive red flag to me, man. It's massive. I'm sorry. It's massive. He was already listed at 362 pounds by the Texas site. Already listed by that. Why, why are you not weighing in? It probably tells me that you're more than that right now. I have to worry about yeah, your you, weight you, and you can't, control now. You can't be that big with in, in the NFL you you just can't like you got to reel it in a little bit and you no. oh, 360 is probably the the upper threshold there's a reason why we don't see anybody that gets past 400 like how heavy is Vita Bea Vita Bea is probably only 350 he's, he's like right? 340 I think he was listed like 347 coming out of coming out 346 of like that's yeah the, that's the yeah. ultimate upper threshold and yeah I mean I'd I don't I know people get really geeked up when you try to point out red flags for like random stuff like this. But yeah, I mean you're yeah. you're right. It it it, it is a red weight, flag. It is. Weight has a parallel to conditioning. It does. Yes. When you're at 340, yes. we can make the conditioning thing work when you're, you know, you're you're strong and you're powerful and you're in shape. But yep. the bigger you get, the worse your conditioning is going to get. I would love for a listener to come in here and say I or somebody I know is 360 pounds and they can run four or five miles nonstop continuously. I would love to find that well, out. It's hard to move at that size without getting fatigued easier. Well, and, and Brian put in the chat a little bit about uh, Jordan Davis. I, I think I told you about this, Joe, and, and it's it's been reported now, so I don't think that this is like breaking news at all about Jordan Davis, but Jordan Davis was getting fined throughout most of the year on a week-to-week basis because he was overweight. He's overweight. Yeah. That when you have a weight issue... It usually doesn't go away as, as far as being in this juncture. A guy that is overweight in the biggest job interview of their life tells me that they probably have a little bit of an issue holding their weight down, getting it down. I had similar concerns about Dewan Jones last year, Joe. I mean, remember, he was another guy that didn't weigh in at yeah. one point. I, ha- I I just have concerns there, okay? It doesn't mean that will end up being bad because Dewan Jones actually played pretty well for the Browns last year, and it seemed like the weight wasn't an issue. Jordan Davis... Started off the year well for the Philadelphia Eagles first few games, and then he fizzled down the road. Why did he fizzle? It's the conditioning. Fatigue. Fatigue. It's a conditioning issue. And I hope that Devontae Swift is Wait, wait, Mekhi Beckton's another one who comes to mind, too, where like he had yeah. a really nice start to his career, and he had to lose weight, a ton of weight, yep. to like regain footing. And it, I think this year was fine for him, not great. Well, I, I, like I, think, his, I think his body is the weight I, stuff. Well, I think his body started breaking down him a little bit, man. Like he kept yeah. getting injured on like nagging stuff because I just think that at some point it's like my body's not supposed to hold this much weight. Like it's not supposed to hold it. It's it's just it's very it's very detriment de- detrimental to you long term as far as being able to be a professional athlete, man. Like this this conversation matters, and I know some people yeah. are gonna again roll their eyes and who are these guys to make that judgment. <laughs> 
at the end of the because day, bus drivers. We, have seen, we, we have seen red flags like this in the past. Will it be a red flag for Tavondre Sweat at the next level? I'm not sure, but him not weighing at the Senior Bowl certainly gets my antennas up, if nothing else. I'm like, hmm, that's a little interesting. I, I was a final thought on this. I was a long snapper, as some people know on, from this sh- from this show. I was not a future first-round pick, zero-tech, uh, and grappling with the same issue. But going into my senior year, I was... Like my playing weight was like 220, much lighter than now, but I was 220. And I, the summer going into my senior year during spring conditioning, was really out of shape. And I was, and I, I thought that like the extra weight was good. Like I thought that being 235 plus was good because it meant that I was going to yep. be stronger. I was going to be hard to move and whatnot. And I had so many different random injuries from just working out. And eventually yep. culminated with me tearing my pec because I wasn't take taking care of my body. But like I would pop a hamstring like every other workout. I had ankle issues. Like I had so many different problems. And I'm talking about like a guy that, that was five foot eleven that weighed 235 pounds. That's a really good example yep. for anybody who has tried to be athletic, overweight. It doesn't yep. work if your body can't hold the weight. And I, we haven't you're, seen the Vondre Swick get hurt, but it, it catches yep. up to you. Your body wasn't used to being that weight. You probably put on a decent amount of weight in a very short amount of time, and your body yeah. wasn't conditioned to hold that weight. And no. again, that doesn't mean that's going to be an issue for Tavondre Sweat, but it is a thing to at least talk about. It's at least to consider. It's a thing to question. Can I throw one guy in before we get into the mailbag, Joe? Yes. Can I throw one more? Yeah. yeah. Austin Booker, Edge, Kansas. I actually did not get to watch a lot of his film before the Senior Bowl. I had poked around a little bit, but I had not sat down and watched Last night, I went into a a little bit of a frenzy. I watched the BYU game. I watched the Texas game, and I watched one other game. I can't forget what the other game was I watched. But regardless, I didn't. I, I knew who he was. I had mentioned his name before, but I wasn't sure exactly what he was as a player before this week. And I thought, in my opinion, there were some eye-popping reps. There was one rep in one-on-one yeah. where he was working against Talise Fuaga, where Fuaga ended up winning the rep because he recovered. But Booker was so explosive on the outside track, has such good length, over 34-plus inch arms, and has a little bit of just explosiveness through his hips that he did throw him off balance a little bit, and he got he had to play on his heels for a split second before Fuaga was able to recover. I think there's a lot of tools to work with here, man. He needs to get bigger. He's only about 240 pounds right now, I think is what he we- what he weighed in as. He needs to gain about 10 or 15 pounds of, of good weight to his frame. But that kid has looseness, he has explosiveness, and he has length. All three of those things together, that presents upside as a defensive end. He's not going to be a player that I believe is going to impact the run game a ton year one. But as a designated pass rusher, continuing to add the weight, and then eventually full-time starter, hopefully by his second year in the NFL. I think this kid has legitimate starter upside. I think he's got high-level sack production potentially on the next level if he's developed properly. So Austin Booker, I think, showed some very positive signs this week. Going back to the film and watching it a lot more in depth and a lot more of it, I think I'm in on Austin Booker. I'm in on him somewhere day two. Utilizes his his skill set early on in, in year one. And then eventually he's a starter for you down the road. Yeah. And to, to add without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. 
No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. That, I mean, he, I didn't really do a ton of notes on him this week, but I felt like he kept showing up as somebody who I was like, who's this Kansas guy? You know, who's, the, who's this Kansas guy that, that seems to have a lot of good effort during these reps? And I, I honestly didn't even totally think about him as a, as a quiet winner of the week, but I like that you're bringing, uh, bringing him up into this conversation. All right, let's get I, to some of these mail. Oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, sometimes winners are just simply peaking interest, right? And making guys go mm-hmm. back and watch a lot more film on right. him. And that's what Austin Booker made me do. So, yeah, I would quantify him as a winner this week. All right, not as many mailbag questions today, but we're going to get to them. First question from our good friend, uh, Bron houston Stom, my boss. Who is your QB4? You go first. How, how, do you, how do you pronounce Bron's last name? I never knew this. How do you pronounce it? Uh, I'm going to just object from repronouncing it because I don't, I don't even totally know. I don't want to be disrespectful. I mean, he's got a very hard last name to pronounce. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, quarterback four for me currently in this draft. And again, there's still work to be done as far as evaluating quarterbacks. Michael Pratt's my guy this year, Joe. Like QB four, Michael Pratt's, because I think that he presents a higher floor than some of the players. I think there's guys behind him that I could look at and say, you know, if they're in the right system, in the right situation, they could probably be better than Michael Pratt. But I think what Michael Pratt brings is that steadiness as far as he's a pretty quick processor. He's really tough hanging inside the pocket. He's got requisite arm strength and athleticism to move out of the pocket when need be and to still be able to work multiple levels of the field. I really like Michael Pratt. I think Michael Pratt, year Wait, one. he's your QB4? QB4, baby. Michael Pratt, yeah. So you have him over Penix and Bo Nix. I'm over Penix. Yes, I have more picks. Actually, oh, I'm sorry. No, wow, no, no I'm sorry. Be, Wait, no, no, no. I just missed, I, I missed. I know I, I did. I did it wrong in my head. He would actually be QB five for me. I'm sorry. QB four would actually be Bo Nix. Then I'm sorry. For some reason, I completely misplaced Gene still, Daniels still gonna, in my mind. Still going to cause a little bit of controversy. It's fine, this process. It's fine man. We, I'll call, when we I'll, post I'll that graphic, when we post that graphic, you're going to get. Edmund. I'm praying hey man, for you. Uh, there, there's still these guys more film to be watched. <laughs> there's still more film to be watched, so that could change a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, it, sorry, after redoing it in my head because I completely misplaced Jaden Daniels in my mind for some reason. Who is QB three for me? QB four would be Bo Nix. I don't think Bo Nix had a great week at the Senior Bowl. I think day three was pretty good though. First two days, did not think he played well at all. But I think that similarly, what I was saying with Pratt, he brings a good floor to the table. Joe, he got better each and every year. I think he processes a lot quicker than he once did, especially at Auburn. I think that he showed a lot of positive signs. And I think that also we're going to talk about the floor time with Bo Nix, but I think he's still got legitimately like a higher ceiling to hit because he does have a pretty strong arm. He it, The ball comes out with good pace, and I think he's a really creative athlete outside of structure at times as well. So QB4 Bo Nix, excuse me for my uh, disclusion of Mr. Uh, Jane Daniels in the initial conversation. Um, as many know, I am a hater of evaluating quarterbacks. Um, I just, it's not fun for me, but my number four right now, I, I need to like really finalize this, but I think yeah. right now it is for me, Michael Penix. I think that Michael Penix has a lot of questions that need to be answered. And I think that 
ultimately the injury related stuff is going to be something that we're not even going to be in the room to know about and nor do I think we'll ever really get a truth to it because I bet post combine his camp's going to push out everything went great everybody's feeling good and then I could totally see like a month later you know an Ian Rappaport report like Michael Penix knee shows x y and z or something like that nfl teams are worried about like that to me could totally feel like happening maybe an nfl team is trying to push that narrative so that they can hope he falls to them in the second round but i think that in terms of his ball velocity his ability to drive the ball with pace i feel like he is somebody who could get taken late in the first round still be on the board um, and then sit yeah. for a year behind a, a veteran starter and then eventually take over. And I, or like maybe even a second round, like I, I would love to see him with the Vikings. I would really love to see the Vikings take him, start Kirk for two more years. And then they realize they don't want to pay the price tag anymore. And I know that he'd be 26 by the time they got him onto the field, but still, I think that yeah. Penix could end up being a really good, uh, maybe not like an elite level starting quarterback, but like a nice starting quarterback at some point is in his career. He terrifies me, man. He terrifies me. I don't hate the tools. I do think that he has plus arm strength. I think that he can generate velocity even off of a compromised platform. I think that there's something to him from a toughness standpoint inside the pocket. I like a lot of what I uh, I like a lot about Michael Panics. Actually, the things that keep driving it down for me though is ball placement is all over the place, man. Like especially yeah. in the middle of the field, his ball placement is just not great outside the numbers. Pretty dang good ball placement. Middle of the field, oh, man, it's trouble. And when you have trouble with ball placement over the middle of the field, that's where a lot of mistakes happen, right? That's where a lot of interceptions happen. That's where a lot of disruption happens. Like, I just, that's a major, it's a major critique for me. And that's a major thing that makes me worried. And then, obviously, you mentioned the medicals. I mean, we'll have to wait and see what the medicals ultimately are. But with all the injuries this young man has had during his career at Indiana, I just... I'm struggling to believe that it's just going to be clean. Like, oh, no, no, he's fine. I, I really struggle with that. I'm really struggling. But ultimately, on the field, the biggest thing that keeps hanging me up is that the the ball placement, specifically to the middle of the field, that's trouble. That's trouble. But if he if he finds a good situation, I'm sure he could be successful. But uh, would make me nervous if he's my starting quarterback in the NFL. Would make me a little bit nervous. John asks us who is the first tackle off the board. Joe Alt or Olu Fashanu. Uh, I think that this is a lock that it's going to be Joe Alt. And if anything, I think that the better question is who is the second tackle off the board? Is it Olu Fashanu? Uh, is it going to be um, uh, Talise Fuaga? Could it possibly be JC Latham if a team really yeah. likes what he brings to the table? That's the better question. I, I feel like Olu Fashanu had a very stagnant season. I feel like he didn't take that next step forward. Last year's tackle class that was not as strong, he would have been the first guy. He could have been the first guy. But this year, yeah. there, there's a lot less question marks, I think, with a number of prospects. Like I, I actually feel much more confident about Talise Fuaga than I do about Olu Fashanu. Like Right now, that's tackle two for me. I, I think that the better question is, could we even see a Fuaga go before Joe Walt? That's what I think is more realistic to happen in this in this world with the tackles. The offensive tackle class is fantastic. I think we just had a question on Twitter that we'll get to as far as like what is the most talented position groups and that type of thing, and I'm sure we'll get there, right? That was on my most recent post, by the way, Joe. I don't know if you saw that question. Okay, I'll, it's I'll on, check. on Twitter. Yeah, but the offensive tackle class is stellar, and it's not just stellar with star talent up top. It's the depth of this class as well, man. Like, There's a lot of guys 
Joe, you mentioned something that I think is very interesting. For most people, I believe the top three offensive tackles will be Joe Alt, Olufushanu, and Talese Fuaga in some type of order. I think that most people will agree that that's probably the top three. But I think that it's very realistic to also throw into that bucket. We mentioned Tyler Guyton. You mentioned J.C. Latham. I think that you could throw all five of them in a bucket and different teams will have different orders as far as how they love those love those players. I would not be shocked if Joe Alt was OT1. I wouldn't be shocked if Olufashana was OT1. I would be a little bit surprised if Talese was just because Talese is a kind of a right tackle only more than more more than likely on the next level. But I wouldn't be shocked if a team really loves JC Latham with the size and size components he has. I wouldn't be shocked if a team takes an early early gamble on Tyler Guyton. I wouldn't be shocked if at all. All that to say is I think that the order is going to vary. I'm not ready to lock in OT1, OT2, OT3 on a mock draft right now as far as like this is what's going to happen. Projective, I'm not ready to do that. I am ready over the next several weeks, especially when we get down the combine, I want to hear what scouts have to say about players. I want to hear what their latest rumblings are, what people are talking about, because that's going to start to really show what the board actually looks like around the league. Now, my board's not going to change. It's not. It's Joe Walt, Olufashanu, Talese Fawaga. And for me... Who's the first tackle off the board right now? I would say it's Joe Walt because I just don't think he has a lot of check. Like, I don't think he has a lot of negatives in his profile. There's a whole lot of boxes that are checked. 6'8", 322, length for days, former high school tight end, dad's in the ring of honor as an offensive lineman for the Kansas City Chiefs, two and a half, almost three-year starter at offensive at left tackle for Notre Dame. Uh, consensus All-American this final year, All-American twice, a lot of games started in his career, played for Harry Heastan for a year at Notre Dame as well. Like When you're talking about just checking boxes, Joe Alt checks all the boxes. He really does. So I think that he ends up being OT1 in this draft, the guy that gets drafted first. But as far as what the actual board ends up looking like predictively, that's going to be what the next few weeks are for, especially when we get down to Indy. Uh, Dan, the man asked another tackle related question. Uh, I'm going to skip the Titans one because it's super vague. Um, I, I want to, or sorry, his question here is that who is the more talented prospect, Tyler Guyton or Marius Mims? I think that the better prospect just in general has to be a Marius Mims. Now we end yeah. up with the difficult circumstance of that Mims has not played a lot of football. He's dealt with injuries. He also wasn't a full-time starter in 2022 that's going to impact things. Is Tyler Guyton uh, a really toolsy, talented player as we've talked about from Oklahoma? At the end of the day, Mims, despite playing less games, I think at least showed really good competence as as an inexperienced player. Like He was just a natural. For as little time as he has played, he has stepped in and played as good as some of the top tackles in this class and to me yeah for those few snaps those few games looked like an nfl tackle looked like a guy that i could probably throw out there and immediately be like in week seven we could be saying how did amarius mims end up having the best rookie season out of any of these tackles the guy barely played last year he is just such a a a natural player at the position which is going to be important for early impact I don't, I don't really feel the need to come to the table here and say with Amarius Mims like we do with Tyler Guyton and some of these other players that they are developmental. They do require some sort of work. Amarius Mims doesn't require any of that for me. The, the only knock that's going to come on him that maybe pushes him down the board is that NFL teams say he hasn't played enough. It's a little bit right. you know, scary for us to invest in. 
Well, and I think that's why it's a great question, though, is that we're talking about the two offensive tackles that are extremely toolsy but haven't played a ton of football, right? Like, we're talking about the two most inexperienced guys when we're talking about Tyler Guyton and talking about Mary Smims. We're also talking about, Joe, two guys that are going to measure in. I mean, Tyler Guyton already did, but two guys that are going to measure in at six foot seven and right around 330 pounds and have crazy length. I Guyton was over 34 inches. I would not be shocked if Amarius Mims is closer to 36. Like that dude wow. has some incredible length. I just wouldn't be shocked, man. I mean, he is one of the longest offensive tackles I've ever evaluated just from an arm length perspective. That kid has something special to him. But it's a very good conversation because I haven't watched enough of his 2023 film yet. I'm still trying to get back to some to just kind of finalize my thoughts on him. But I would say this is what gives him the advantage over Guyton for me. One, I think athletically, they're similar, but I think that Amarius Mims is more explosive than Tyler Guyton, just in short areas. Yeah, he's a got better, better power this far yes. into their career. Oh, a lot better power, like a whole yeah. lot better power. They're both similar, though, in the sense of I don't think they both bend incredibly well, and they're still raw from a technical aspects of footwork, hand nuance. Like There's still things that need to be worked out. But I will say it this this easy, Joe. I'm, I don't even need the 2023 film to say this for Marius Mims. There was no game that I've watched of Tyler Guyton that was as good as a Marius Mims 2022 against Ohio State. There was yep. none. Yeah. None. That was the best game by far that he played. And he also well, played really that, good in the last other couple games he started in 2022. That, that's kind of what, I, what I'm saying here with, with him, where there's those games with, with Marius Mims where you watch him and you're like, wow, this is so natural. Tyler Guyton, you're kind of watching him. You're like, Okay, I get it, but he's not really doing what I need him to do to get excited about him. You know, like he's not right. he, he's still he's still a whole step away from really bringing it to the table. Marius Mims at least yes. brings it to the table often when he's playing. Right. Uh exactly. we're going to wrap up here with Kevin Mc, McManus's questions. He he put 3 in here. We'll get to all 3 of them. 3. Um wow. Thanks Kevin. What positions are the deepest this year? I think that without a doubt it's offensive tackle. It is mm -hmm. wide receiver and corner, I think, are the two that are going to go above offensive tackle. I look at the fact that, I mean, like the top 15 receivers might all end up going by the time that day two is over, maybe even more than that. And the same thing could be said for the cornerbacks. There's just a lot of really good, well-rounded football players. We could have as many as seven receivers and corners go in the first round. And then the same thing can happen for the offensive tackles. I don't think tackle is necessarily yeah. as deep as the receiver corner class. It's a really good class and it's up there, but it starts to tail off after we get past the, you know, the Tyler guidance. It's a lot of well-rounded guys that maybe are yeah. a little bit older dealt with injury stuff. Like we start to get into the Patrick Pauls of the world who I'm not a super big fan of, but the receivers and the corners, man, there's like 15 guys that could be really good starters in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, because we, I mean, we even talked about cornerback wise, like talking a little bit about Cam Hart this week at Mobile. I mean, I thought that he had a tremendous week, and I would not be hesitant to if his medicals check out to draft him in the top 100 yeah. for a, a zone specific scheme. Like I would not be. And then I know that you really like like TJ Tampa out of Iowa State. Like there's some legitimate oh, depth really in this like class him. of corner. You know, I also really like Kalen Carson was somebody from Wake Forest that that kind of yeah. popped to me. Do you do you like him inside a little bit more, or do you like him outside? Yeah, because he's Kalen not like Carson. a he's not like a super a long guy. Yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, like I saw really nice ball skills. I saw really nice yeah. hips. I think he could be a really nice, but 
Yep. But like, look how far down we are. We're talking about a, a Kalen Carson and bringing him up into the conversation. Yep. Like that guy, like I'll tell you, continue what you're saying, but like, I'll tell you right now, I've got, I mean, I go down to Rake Straw, who's the latest guy that I've watched that is a top 100 grade. That's number 10 for me. Like that's crazy yep. how far down we can go. Yeah, it really, I mean, the cornerback group is just so deep this year the wide receiver class we had an we had a, a down year a couple years ago from wide receiver comparative to the historical class we were getting but we're back we're back baby like there is a crazy amount of wide receivers in the 2024 nfl draft you mentioned offensive tackle we mentioned that ad nauseum the other one joe i don't love the top of the interior defensive line class like i i think that, that some guys are getting propped up a little bit too much because there's just not that guy at the top but there's depth to that interior defensive line class, man. I mean, we saw yeah. several guys this week. Michael Hall out of Ohio State. Gabe Hall. Keith Randolph Jr. out of Illinois. Gabe Hall as a developmental guy on day three. Like, There's a lot of interior defensive linemen in this class that I would be really excited about on day two and day three. I think that you can get some bargain bin guys especially. Your defensive tackle's a, a sneaky one. Quick flip, flip around here on that. Uh, yeah. The worst position group i i think it's got to be tight end i it's got to be tight, tight end because like after you after get past Cade, it's bad yeah well and then let, let's take the next step after you get past Cade stover it's like <laughs> oh my god who is next who the hell do we talk about after Cade stover now it it gets pretty ugly pretty quick at tight end yeah he's yeah yeah that group's not great i would say this too joe i think the quarterback kind of drops off really quickly like in this class after you get past like michael Penix and michael pride i'm just like "Mm, i don't know about any of these guys man i'm not sure about this right now so i think quarterback kind of tapers off you know another class that i think is kind of not great there's some okay players as there always is there's some good players as there always is safety like this year is just like yeah, it's fine. Eh, it's fine. Like Cam Kitchens, I like. Uh, Tyler Newbin's okay for Minnesota. I like Jaden Hicks, but like there is not a lot of depth in the safety group this year. So linebacker's not great either. This is a year to want corners, wide receivers, offensive tackles, and interior defensive linemen. Like that's this class this year. That's this class. Next question that Kevin asked Should the Giants? go QB at six or should they look to trade up? Is there anyone worthy at six outside of the top three of Williams, May and Daniels? I think that they should. Do I think that they will? No, because they invested in Daniel Jones. I actually would argue that a guy like Michael Penix might actually be interesting for a team like the Giants where you come back in the second round, he's still on the board. It kind of good example of when the Eagles took Car- had Carson Jalen Wentz Hurts. and he yeah. and, and he was really good and then they took Jalen Hurts and everyone's like why the hell would you do this and then eventually as Carson Wentz started to struggle this was like at the beginning of when things were starting to fall apart before everyone really saw it fall apart the injuries sure. were catching up all that stuff I could see a similar situation where things don't go well this year for Daniel Jones and then eventually Michael Penix takes over that to me makes the most sense and a, a good projection for the Giants I just I personally wouldn't want them to spend a top six pick on any of these quarterbacks. Uh, I would much outside of that top three. If one of those guys falls to you, hell yes. I'm taking Jane Daniels or Drake may if, if they end up falling that far, which won't happen, but you got to for once invest in the receiver position or, or corner or something like that. Yeah, I think it's well said. If one of the top three falls, I think that you definitely have to have the conversation, Joe, I did not realize, and I know Daniel Jones got hurt. 
he threw two touchdowns and six interceptions this year. That was his stat line this year. Dude, you don't understand how frustrating it was as a Giants fan watching and actually partaking in the debate of, is this Daniel Jones's fault? When the guy was on the goddamn field, he wasn't doing anything. So I, I, he is, he is one of the most overly defended shitty quarterbacks in the NFL. And it is so (laughs) unbelievably frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then the other quarterbacks came in and like, Tommy DeVito is not very good. Tyrod Taylor's old, but like they were still more productive than what Daniel Jones was, right? I mean, like that's just the end of it. But so here's the here's the craziest thing that I'm going to point to. CJ yeah. Stroud had a worse offensive line. He had yeah. third stringers, backup guys that were plugging in for a lot of the year. And the guy's about to win offensive rookie of the year. He played an insane yeah. season with that. And on top of it, a number of receivers that up until that point, like no one knew what Tank Dell was going to be like. Nico Collins was good, but like hadn't really totally taken the next step. He elevated the performance of the room. Daniel Jones has never done that. And if we no. can watch a young player succeed, I think it's enough proof that, you know, things aren't just clicking for the guy. I, I, I will say to this question, my main point is some sort yeah. of investment needs to be made in the position. There needs sure. to be a solid backup brought into the room. I'm sorry, Tommy DeVito. It was all fun and shit as an Italian from New Jersey. I loved it. But we 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 gotta we 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 gotta get somebody that can take over and we can feel a little bit better about. Right, right. I I think it's well said, man. I mean, we don't have to harp on it too much, but every I think everyone knew from the jump of him getting that contract that it wasn't gonna end well, and it's probably not gonna end well. So um last question from our friend Kevin. Yes. Why don't some top college players translate to the NFL? I thought that this was an interesting question I wanted to make sure to get to. Rack, we're not answering yours, by the way. I will never answer that weird question that you commented. It's not. What about Hayden Hatton? About Hayden Hatton? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, he, he proposed, I, saw, I saw it on Twitter. I saw it on Twitter. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, like a F Mary kill, basically, between yes. you, Matt, and, and Blake, but it was far more disturbing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> to answer this question of why some top college players don't translate to the NFL, I, I think that a lot of times these top college guys are in conferences and play schedules where they don't face a lot of good competition, a lot of, much NFL competition. They're in offenses or in defensive schemes that set them up to succeed, and they've got really good coaching staffs around them. At the end of the day, it is easier for a smart, experienced football player in college to outperform an athletically gifted one. Meanwhile, in the NFL, those athletically gifted players are then given more time to develop, to play to their ceiling, to perform better, all of that stuff. I I just think that the college game is just a different animal. It's kind of like college basketball. Like the best players are the, you know, they're the older ones that have been there for four years and that were coming off the bench and then eventually became a full-time starter. I mean, I, I feel like we could. I feel like the, it's a great question, but also it really depends on what position you're talking about, man. Like, yeah, because some things translate so much better to the NFL than others. You know, like for for me, like early on in my scouting career, I struggled with understanding that interior that edge players really need athletic traits to be good. Like I used to think that, oh, guy's nuanced and he plays a great motor. He's got good hands. He's got a good rush plan that translates. And then I figured out like it doesn't because you're playing against just a high level caliber of athlete across from you on every single snap. So I think a better question would be like, talk about a position, right? Like quarterback quarterback is one 
where it's rarely ever doomed because of athleticism or just athletic traits, right? The, the arm strength and the ability to work outside of structure. Usually the breaking points, the Ryan Leafs of the world is because they're not good leaders and they don't take their job seriously. And that's yeah. why they fail. And I think that's why a lot of people fail is because they, they just don't love it, right? They're not obsessed with being their best possible version of themselves on the field. Like that's the biggest thing overall, but otherwise, why does it not translate? It could be a trade issue. It could be a situational issue. Like there's a lot of scenarios. I would love a question of why didn't this particular player transition translate to the NFL? Cause then we can dig in a little bit deeper of like, he got drafted to this team. Wasn't a good scheme fits. His athleticism was good in this area, but he had ob obvious circumstances that would have caused him to fall. Like, there's a lot that I think we can get into on that one. So, yeah, last, final final thought too, just to round that out before we close out. Um, I also think that the talent gap between some of the best players in college and just the average college football player, there's a much wider gap than there is in the NFL. When you get to the NFL, I feel like everybody is within striking distance of the same talent level, except for like the, the 1% of elite consistent all pros and all that stuff. But everybody is going to be on the same athletic playing field because there is a large pool of players that are brought in and funneled down to these NFL rosters. There's not going to be much separation. So the ones that, you know, they're facing off with one another and you might not be, as you're talking about, you might not have developed from, and spend as much time as some other guys. So you might disappear a lot quicker on film. But in the college game, if you're just a little bit more athletic than some of these guys that you're facing off with, like there's a lot of dudes that you're going to face that are going to be working at an accounting firm. You're, you're going to be sure. working with guys there's that work at Enterprise. There's nothing wrong with that, dude. Nothing right, wrong with that right. either. But yeah. the, you're in the NFL, that's that shit. Those guys that weren't sniffing the NFL, you're not going to come yeah. anywhere near a dude like that. And like I yep. think of the like defensive end or defensive tackle, guys could have massive sack production because they face one shitty offensive tackle that's like a sophomore and kick yep. the crap out of them and rack up three sacks in a game, and that gives them an yep. insane total at the end of the year. Sure, yeah, that, that's why watching the film matters so much because you don't lose that context, right? Yes. By not watching the film, you you understand that like, hey, dude, he had four sacks against Charleston Southern, but then he only had one sack the rest of the season. All due respect to Charleston Southern, right? Like that's, yeah, it's a great conversation, man, because there's just so many different, there's so much context. There's so many different layers to scouting. Like people think it's just, you know, production and 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 it's easy, but it's not easy. It's really not because there's so many conversations no. need to happen from a personal perspective, leadership perspective, how different traits translate to the next level. What is the NFL as far as stylistically and where is the evolution going to happen from a position to position perspective? There's so many things to talk about, which is why I love this process because you constantly have to evolve. The it, It's not even just an a athlete thing. It's not a coach thing evaluators that stop evolving get left in the past as well. They do get left in the past. You need to constantly evolve as an evaluator as well. Folks, thanks for tuning in as always. We'll be back probably not next Friday because uh, I'm going to be away for the Super Bowl for work. I, we, I, I'm not going to have reliable internet, so it's not going to be, it's not even going to be worth it. We, you and I will connect offline, figure out how we're going to uh, go about next week. But um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week with us for Senior Bowl coverage. You can follow us on Twitter at Joe DeLeon, at Rising Draft, at the First Team Pod. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube and then wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate it as always. Uh, and we'll be back eventually with more Draft Talk.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.